everyone. Welcome to episode 86 of Vague Zone. I'm your host, Thomas. And I am Daniel. And today we are talking, we're taking a detour with the movie I chose. I showed the movie Entertainment from 2015. Mm-hmm. So, Daniel, would you like to read us the IMDb synopsis for Entertainment? Sure. Entertainment, directed by Rick Alverson. En route to meet his estranged daughter and attempting to revive his dwindling career, a broken middle-aged comedian plays a string of dead-end shows in the Mojave Desert. Thomas, this was your selection. First off, give us some background. Why did you select this movie? And then uh, tell us what you thought. So yeah, I selected this for a few reasons. One, the main reason is I watched all of On Cinema at the Cinema, and I really enjoyed it. I really appreciated the world that Tim Heidecker and Greg Turkington sort of created, and the subsequent little things and memes and jokes that have spawned from that. Yeah, I liked the movie Mr. America. It was pretty solid. But yeah, I was always sort of aware of the movie, the comedy, and wanted to watch that, but never really got around to it. But then when I found out Rick Alverson directed the comedy and entertainment, I was it really piqued my interest. And then the cast of this movie also fascinated me because I, I mentioned a few episodes ago, I watched uh, Ready Player One, and that has Ty yeah. Sheridan in it. And then um, John C. Riley, who's just like a, an actor I really like. He's in the new Lakers show that just finished up last week. And yeah, Michael Sarah's in this too. So yeah, just the casting was just really insane to me. And just the idea just sounded so absurd. And I appreciated the detour with Clifford. That was a nice, like, very strange, odd movie that I really appreciate. It has like, a nice cult, cult following. And so On Cinema has its own sort of cult following. And the character Neil Hamburger, which is sort of at the center of this, has even more of a, a cult yeah. following. He's just really fucked up comedian i can't i I don't feel comfortable (laughs) yeah i don't feel comfortable repeating the jokes that neil hamburger does but yeah it's it's pretty pretty crazy pretty crass it's a very interesting character just like holding multiple drinks in the arm and just coughing constantly and just being an absolute mess and so the idea of an entire movie about that character was just really interesting to me so i just had to watch it had to choose this and so yeah i really enjoyed it it's a, a very strange character study um but yeah, before I get, um, I want to know your your thoughts because now you've seen this before, so I want to know what you sort yeah. of thought about upon rewatch. Uh, so I saw this. I, I'd seen the comedy, and then when this one came out, it was playing in San Francisco, and they were going to have a screening with Neil Hamburger in attendance, and he oh, was cool. going to do. He did a stand up, I think, before the show, and then they played the movie, and then afterwards there was like a live band that he was friends with, and then he came out and like sang the opening song with them because <laughs> oh, uh, he used to play in like punk bands and stuff like N- oh, neil hamburger greg turkington is like a fucking i love like this i th- i find his career so interesting like yeah he seems like a g from like from australia did this thing in san francisco in punk bands <laughs> yeah he was like in punk bands he was like a tour manager for like mr bungle and uh who else i forget who else but um yeah and then he does this like alternative comedy thing which is this like very subversive character uh and i remember just like playing neil hamburger albums for my friends in college and stuff because it, <laughs> it, it just it blew my mind i fucking have so much admiration for this guy's career yeah, um yeah. and his like thing you know uh so seeing entertainment uh i remember i think i remember liking it a little more than the comedy um yeah. but it's they're very i feel like they're pretty similar movies in tone um this sort of you just feel you you feel like you're watching a man be a victim of existence yeah. <laughs> like it is it, you know neither of these characters are very happy um 
I'll, I'll stick to talking about entertainment instead of contrasting against the other one. But yeah, I have seen the comedy, but yeah, like I, I yeah, focusing on this is probably the easiest way to do it. Yeah, um, I feel I feel like it's really interesting seeing Neil Hamburger. <laughs> I'm gonna keep calling him Neil Hamburger. It's interesting seeing Greg Turkington in a lead role. Um, it's interesting seeing him in a dramatic role, although he doesn't. He's not doing a whole lot in terms of performance it really is just kind of you're, you're just watching a man be miserable and then shine on stage and like that's yeah. when you really get a lot of his uh personality coming out it feels like um or more like charismatic personality um but yeah i really like the movie i like how <laughs> i'm like i i opened up the imdb page to read the synopsis and i could see i gave it an eight apparently the first time i saw it um mm-hmm. But yeah, I appreciate like this sort of strangely quiet surrealism that uh, you know resonates throughout the movie, and I don't know, I I dig it. it. It's kind of a it's it's a hard one. It's a difficult one to approach. Um, yeah, I had a lot of thoughts. I want to sort of bounce off you to sort of see what you thought about it because at first I felt like it, it's operating on sort of like two kind of levels where we're we have like this character study of this guy who is basically like his own worst enemy in some ways where like there's there's a, a scene in the beginning where he, he's doing his act and it's like it's going well it's going he, the opening scene is in the the prison and so that's like that that crowd is into it but then when he does it at the bar is a little the, the reception isn't as great and then john c riley's character sort of goes very like meekly be like hey like maybe just like lay back on like the sex stuff and like yeah. you kind of maybe trying to give him career it. advice and shit yeah yeah it's trying to just like try to like nudge him in a different direction a little bit but he's just like no like they need more security like these assholes like he's drunk he's pieced to shit they just like let him just get drunk or whatever and yeah he's like he's the act is never in question and i found yeah. that really fascinating but yeah also like just him going through the desert and sort of watching these tour guides kind of like do their thing also maybe think about yeah this movie is making a commentary on like what we are entertained by and like what is entertainment in a very abstract sense because it all always kind of boils down to people telling stories and people talking to each other but those are moments in these movies are often the most fascinating parts like the scene when he goes to like the the random party and they're playing like marco polo and there's like one they're like this is shot in the hallway there's like two guys talking to each other everyone else in the in the scene is just listening to these two guys talk and it's just one guy telling a story to another person and i just found that shot to be really like like i felt like that represented sort of like the idea behind this movie like when they, like the tour guide at the oil field starts doing like a jack nicholson impression or something like that it's just like they're like they're entertaining but then there's also like these other aspects to it that i think are is really interesting and yeah it's like a lot of people kind of performing and talking and i just i thought that was something that this movie was trying to say and i wonder if that resonated with you yeah well it feels like the movie it's robbing the idea of being an entertainer of glamour without dramatizing it (laughs) yeah yeah like there's a lot of movies that like it's like oh it's not so glamorous being an entertainer because look at all this drama we have to go through and it's this doesn't even have the drama it's just like i said he is a victim of existing um He's just kind of going from place to place. And this isn't, a, like he said in interviews, he's like, this isn't at all an accurate representation of what it's like <laughs> being on the road. Um, and it, and I think the setting contributes to this vibe because, like, we think of, I mean, the desert is this very isolating place. Like, all of these clubs, no one would ever plan a tour yeah, going yeah. through the <laughs> desert and, like, going through, like, 
I, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck these bars are. Are they like truck stop bars? Um, yeah, truck stop bars, you're very setting yourself, small dive bars. You're setting yourself up for failure. Um, one of them is just like the one towards the end is just like a restaurant. <laughs> He's just like inside of a restaurant where like no one's eating. He's just like in there with a microphone. And yeah, it's just really, really it tears it all. Yeah, it tears all the glamour away is what I can say. But um, yeah, I kind of want to go back to that clapping scene <laughs> at the at the detention center. Yeah. yeah. So this clapping scene. Okay, so Ty Sheridan, he plays this role. Um, what's the character's name? Eddie the Opener. He's a mime. And, or he's, I guess, a clown. Well, either way, he doesn't really talk much. <laughs> yeah, he, he does, but I think, yeah, the, the main of the, the majority of the act is like a mime act. But he yeah. breaks it when he has to. But they're performing at this detention facility. And Eddie the Opener, he climbs up on this table and he starts slowly clapping and like encouraging everyone to like join in on this clap with him and it's like this very rhythmic you know they're creating a, a beat a tempo and then he starts dancing around and dancing around like pumping his legs and like pumping his arms and uh encouraging them to clap more by clapping his own hands and yeah. it feels like he's basically tricking these people into applauding for him and i think yeah, about yeah. this I think about this scene all of the fucking time because it's like there's no talent on display here it's just a trick and so so like what is the value of those claps and like what what are the value of laughs in general for a comedian and like we see we see Neil Hamburger doing his performance he's not really getting laughs he's not getting reactions so does not getting laughs mean he's a bad comedian meanwhile this other guy is getting all sorts of applause well he's not exercising any talent yeah um, yeah so i feel like it calls into question like what what are entertainers hoping to achieve <laughs> uh, yeah that's a really good point i thought about that the scene that really stuck with me is a little bit later towards the end is he's like having a talk with this other comedian this is after and the opener sort of is gone and he's talking to him and he's just telling this really bad story and i thought it was oh there's bantering but then we cut and we see that you know the comedian is actually like practicing a bit on yeah. him backstage and he's doing it up there but then i also thought about just Do the you... contrast between the two of them has that ever happened to you because i've i've hanging out with some stand-up comedians and i've absolutely <laughs> had that happen to me where they're just like testing material on me um not really i did live my buddy jeff who i lived with uh back at sf state he he was like pretty active in the stand-up circuit around that time and so i like actually not really like he was pretty good at like not being on like at home it's like he's funny really funny dude but like never like practice bits but that's that's really fascinating my, my buddy lupe estrada look him up great comedian yeah yeah um he would always be honest with me if he was gonna he, he would he would always just start by saying like oh i came up with a joke and then like yeah, he would yeah. go into it but i've definitely like hung out with people where i'm having a conversation with them and then they start you know, <laughs> testing material out on me, and I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah. okay, this is no longer a genuine human interaction. So you're working on your five right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was really funny, but I also thought it was an interesting contrast because this movie, I felt like this movie is making a commentary on like, like the past sort of like fading away and like the like the future of things, and so like he's going through the desert and all he's like going to like oil fields and like mm -hmm. like the plain graveyard or whatever and like this old yeah. ghost town and he's all, he's like wandering through these it's like dead old things, for, pretty much yeah these <laughs> old forgotten places but then we have this conversation with this comedian who like sort of reminds me of like 
the Judd Apatow, like, frat pack kind of guy. Was like, he's telling this raunchy story about his son. He's, like, describing a vagina or whatever. And it's, like, really crass. And it's, like, a little bit more of a refined version of what Neil's, like, Neil's character is doing. Um, but, but, by the way, we keep calling him Neil. In the movie, he's just called the comedian. I don't think he's yeah. ever mentioned by name. But we're, we call him Neil Hamburger because Although, that's... if you watch it with subtitles, he, it says Neil when he's speaking. So. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> Good little tidbit. But yeah, I thought it was funny that like, yeah, this other comedian seems to be like the more cleaned up version. Like he's delivering crass jokes, but he's not doing it in a performance art way that Neil's doing it where he's like clutching all these drinks together, coughing and like being grotesque physically. And And, and then, yeah, it's like he's like doing it in a much more like, I I don't want to say, I guess like a messier version of it, like a a less accessible version. So I just thought that was a really interesting moment where it's like, yeah, like he's like facing this future of this like act or whatever i just thought that was really cool i don't know um yeah and there's also this so speaking of like him going on these different tours it feels like there is this sort of uh i don't know what to read into it but like he's going on tours while he's on tour uh, yes. there's yeah. two comedians <laughs> going on this tour we get a lot of shots of him looking in the mirror um there is this sort of like ghostly otherworldly version of him that exists as a white cowboy um at one point he is doing a video with these uh it looks like college kids or something where one of them is a doppelganger of him and so there's this weird like duality thing going on throughout this whole movie and i'm not totally sure what to make of it (laughs) um yeah i feel that there's a lot of stuff kind of floating around even like you mentioned him going on tour. I was going to say this is a movie that features plenty of detours with characters that sort of I don't even quite know how to put my hand on. Like, I don't really know besides like the helping, besides John C. Riley's character trying to help uh, Neil to clean up his act a little bit. I don't really know what his character is like, trying, like supposed to represent. Like, uh, is that was a really John perplexing. C. Yeah, he's kind of like this like, cowboy guy, has this new property, has like this communication issue with his girlfriend's dad and so there's like a clash of like there's like yeah it's like a communication class between like this white ranch owner and like the grandfather the patriarch or whatever but yeah like that detour was really strange to me the detour in the in both bathroom scenes like the one with michael Sarah kind of being afraid to go back outside and which okay is michael yeah. Sarah a prostitute in that scene <laughs> i'm i'm not sure <laughs> that's a, that's i didn't even think of that yeah that's He's like wanting to hang out in his car. He's like, "Can you keep me company in here in the bathroom?" <laughs> like, huh, interesting. Like a, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's a good point because I was trying to link that up with the other bathroom scene that we get with the woman giving oh, birth. Giving and so birth. I think, yeah. yeah, there there might be a connection there. Something being said, but like I said, I, I don't really know. Like it's it's so dreamlike and so weird that it's just like I'm just <laughs> trying to make sense of it. What did you think about the like the Marco Polo kind of like the, that whole thing where they're like playing Marco Polo and they're like the naked men and women surrounding the woman with glasses? I, see, I have no idea what to make of that. Like <laughs> yeah. this was like there are these moments of surrealism. Like this movie is kind of overflowing with this stuff because um, mm-hmm. there's that scene. There's the uh, color therapy stuff. There's the birth that you just mentioned. Like, there's all this weird shit that's happening on the road, and it's like, what is this adding up to? (laughs) Like, I'm not really sure. 
Um, yeah. It just feels like it's it's adding to the tone. Um, but what is it yeah, adding yeah. to in terms of is there a larger you know message being conveyed here uh, that I don't know. Yeah, it's like the stuff about entertainment and aging and like new versus old really jumped out to me at, while watching it. But yeah, there's a lot of, of this movie where I'm just like, I really don't even know. Like, like I can like try to sort of put it together. Yeah, the the seminar thing was really strange. I didn't. I had no idea what was happening. I needed Wikipedia to sort of fill in those blanks. The, a, the color therapy thing. Yeah. Yeah, I ended up like writing down the colors because I was like, because he ends up sitting in like a red room. Like she like sits him down to do red color therapy which means vitality and energy according to you know the lecture and later on we get uh him like under these blue lights which she says enhances the uh, enhances growth of crops and represents the throat i guess um so i i kept wondering like does does this stuff like it's intentional it's not like an accident that he's under these colors Uh, so it has to tie into this stuff um yeah and her character is called the chemotherapist and so it's like there's clearly something there but i'm just like i I have no yeah uh the actress's name is like chromotherapist chromotherapist yeah sorry color therapy yeah there's my dyslexia coming back again um chromotherapist okay yeah that's uh yeah strange yeah um yeah i don't know (laughs) <laughs> anything else i mean yeah, there's i feel um, like there's so much we could say about this movie but i'm kind of drawing a blank um i appreciate the like the climax and how like raw it feels i, I really like the him like descending into like we he, oh the he, he's aware yeah he's like he's aware of this like celebrity party it's a big celebrity party in the hills he's inviting his daughter who he's been calling throughout the entire movie and leaving voicemails for who never responds back but he invites her to this big party that he's performing at he like descends down this like really fantastic uh, staircase into this like celebrity party a bunch of beautiful good uh, good looking people tim heidecker's there with us and then there's he's there and he's yelling scream like you're getting fucked <laughs> at these girls yeah. which is crazy <laughs> yeah alongside dean stockwell who is like uh like a very renowned actor who's yeah. been in like a lot like he's in the original dune paris texas to live and die in la blue Velvet. i was getting paris texas vibes <laughs> from the, i've never seen paris texas but <laughs> i've seen mm. uh parts of it and i was getting paris texas vibes from this movie. okay yeah but that's another yeah another like random thing where it's like yeah he's this uh actor sort of in like his twilight year is that, is that the right term like sort of this actor at his end of his career appearing in this really surreal comedy and yeah, the party's just fucking strange, and they're like egging on like the the swimmers, and he emerges from this cake and proceeds to have a breakdown and falls yeah. into the pool. And I really like the cut to like he's like in the pool, and then we cut to him on stage soaking wet. And I think that's sort of like a visual parallel. Like yes, yeah, so he is still on stage even though it's like in the midst of like a panic attack or a breakdown. He's still he's like, still the performer. Yeah, he's still like doing his job essentially. But yeah, I just thought it was really raw to sort of like to see everyone see like oh yeah like they're like they're waiting and then like they're applauding him as he's out like oh yeah it's a part of the joke and then he like falls to his knees and starts breaking down it's the progression of it just, just really resonated it felt really raw what do you make of the white cowboy i don't know it's very dreamlike i like it was making me think about like a very strange idea of like okay what do like these dark comedians think is funny and i think him 
like positioning himself in this like uh, Mexican soap opera. It was like a very long form of like uh, performance art. Is like his version of like playing a joke on like the world at large. That's sort of how I interpreted it as like he's uh, he's like snuck himself, not snuck himself, but he's like found a way to get onto this really strange TV show, and just the idea of him getting on there is just like. That's like a punchline in itself. That's sort of how I uh, deduced it. Because it's like, we only see him laughing twice in the movie. Uh, I think only twice. I think the first time is when he's talking to John C. Riley's like father-in-law. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know if like his character is supposed to understand Spanish or if he's just, you know, getting what he needs to understand. But yeah. um, the father-in-law is talking about like, Killing John C. Riley, basically, <laughs> <laughs> which kind of ties into Neil Hamburger's sort of mean-spirited sense of humor, um, and then we see him laughing at the end when this him as the white cowboy ends up on this this uh, you know Spanish language. I it's a is it a comedy show? Is it a drama? Like it's a a show that has been reoccurring throughout the movie. Yeah, he keeps watching it at like these a... hotels. Like telenovela sort of like where it, it can have slapstick comedy but it also might be moments of heavy drama but the the white cowboy is like he's wearing like rhinestones and stuff so you get he's not a real cowboy obviously he's a performer <laughs> yeah. um and so i think what is happening in those moments is is maybe it is this sort of like i don't know spirit of the performer merging with this uh this fictional world that he so so the spanish television show is this fictional world that is at a distance that it's something that he watches in his hotel and him as this sort of spiritual performer now merges with that and so maybe it's something about like uh you know breaking down the barrier between the performer and the person behind the performance uh the character and the performer um yeah that's me like go- st- stretching to try and figure out what what is being expressed but uh yeah i don't know i think that's a good guess when i was reading the wikipedia they're mentioning that in the process of making this there was a little bit of a debate on whether or not they were going to show neil hamburger out of character mm-hmm. and whether or not like the movie could like work on that level and uh, i think it's really interesting that they went this direction because yeah it sort of have this character and this performer at just various sort of levels of this and so yeah like him being on the road is like one thing kind of like trying to keep his, like these relationships up is one form of like a performance him on stage and then this like this tv show like it's, it's like performance within a performance within a performance it's just very yeah very layered and very, very surreal yeah. very strange because the person he is on stage is very per- that, different than the person he is out of costume um yeah and so we're allowed to contrast these two uh the person who's on stage is a uh, is releasing anger and tension uh that seems to just be he either building up when he's out of character or uh something that he is powerless to express when he's out of character um, yeah. yeah like so even when this. even when he's weeping he is in character. He is in that costume. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, maybe when 
with that merge at the end and he's cracking up hysterically uh that is him able to offer up some expression and achieve some sort of release in his non-character form yeah uh, one last thing i just wanted to bring up is um after so i, I, I want to make sure i get the uh, the order of this right so it seems that like eddie the opener sort of they they have their tour or whatever and then it gets to a point where eddie the opener sort of splits and he goes off and does his own thing mm-hmm. and that's why this new opener sort of gets involved and when they were on stage, well, when he's on stage after the opener goes up and he picks up the trophy and starts, oh, yeah. like, shooting at the audience and then it devolves into him just, like, making, uh, making spit noises, <laughs> farts, <laughs> <laughs> making fart, so- fart noises into the microphone. It, it, this weird moment where it's, like, it's awkward, it's not funny, then it becomes funny again. And it's this really strange thing. But, like, while watching that, I was like, I wonder if that's a, uh, making a comment on, like, he realizes that like things are changing and he needs to like change his act and like he's not like confronting that fact is just like really heavy and like something he can't really process and so he just devolves into this like he he does what he thinks will get the crowd into it and just make fart noises and sort of like really just devolve his comedy from yeah using it words is and punchlines using words and punchlines to just fart noises yeah it's uh just raw aggression <laughs> presented yeah. in a still kind of humorous way because it is just fart sounds and a trophy uh, yeah. as a gun. But it's kind of, he has digressed to doing what uh, Eddie the Opener was doing, kind of. Yeah, and the reason I bring it up is because throughout this movie, there's this whole, it's, we're very much established that like if he gets heckled, he is never going to change his act. He's not going to question the act. The act is is uh perfect or whatever i forget yeah what word i'm looking for um the act is sacred the act is sacred it's not going to change that is not the problem and that makes me think quite a bit about like the current state of stand-up comedy now where like like there's been a lot of sort of drama like ever since the oscars up until uh recently with like dave Chappelle getting uh ran up on on stage at the whole netflix thing where it's like comedians sort of being in that space and like he was the guy who ran up on stage was a maga guy like, did yeah. you see that? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, he's like crazy dude, um, unhinged or whatever. Um, but I just, I just thought it was kind of interesting thinking about comedians and like taking that, taking their job very serious, taking that their act very sacredly, sort of making this be a sacred thing and not changing it and sort of like that. That's like a very real thing right now with like in the stand-up comedy world of being like, no, fuck you. Like, I'm going to talk about whatever I want to talk about. Yeah. You know, I, I don't care who gets offended, even if it's, like, a large portion of people who are very vocal. And so, like, I don't know. I think him sort of devolving into the, the fart noises was it was an interesting thing because it's, like, he does sort of concede a little bit and he does change his act. And I thought that was, like, I don't know. It's like, is he, but I don't. But is he conceding to the audience? I don't think so. Hmm, okay. I think he is kind of he's giving up on trying. Absolutely. Yeah, he's compromising some of his uh, own values i don't know we're seeing someone have a breakdown on stage basically like this is just a quieter version of him sobbing (laughs) like yeah i i definitely think there have been moments in my life where i would love to just pick up a trophy (laughs) point at everyone like i kind of make a bunch of fart sounds yeah um it's just an it's an act of aggression it's an act of frustration um yeah i just think a lot about like like just the, the idea of like you have an act that is 
stone and you're not going to change it. And then what are the contributing factors that would make you change your act? Like, like is like what is that breaking point? I think like to... I think you devolve into what he did when you feel like what you're doing is pointless. Yeah. Like, what is the point of continuing my act? Like, what am I trying to achieve here? Um, then you just, yeah, you fuck, fucking start. It's it's <laughs> weird how this movie. So when, at the end of this movie, when he's cracking up, I was like, oh, this is this is Joker. <laughs> like, this is like <laughs> before Joker before Joker. Um, yeah, definitely. Like, we watched the Sando comedian have sort of a breakdown. Uh, and just lose it. He doesn't kill anybody, <laughs> but like, he, uh, you know, he's definitely has a hostile relationship with the audience. Uh, yeah. Also, one scene that was really sad to me is when the eye doctor leaves him inside of the office oh, yeah. and he just starts asking for help. <laughs> it feels so bad. This like this movie is really good at like sort of magnifying small human moments of vulnerability. Just like even the simple thing of like. He completely tears into the woman who's like yeah. rightfully heckling. <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> like I, I feel like so. So I I watched an interview with uh, Greg Turkington where he talks about how a woman did like smash a glass over his head in real life. Okay. Like the the attack, the woman's attack on him was way worse in real life than it was in the movie. And mm-hmm. what he said to her was not nearly as bad as what he says to her in the movie. Like, in the movie, okay. he kind of deserves, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. something. Because uh, he just fucking goes off. But, um, yeah, yeah. and it's like, he didn't have to. He could have, like, I don't think she made so much of a disturbance that he couldn't have just overlooked it or ran, like, moved on from it. Um, no, I think they make it a point that, like, she's dealing with, like, an asshole guy yeah. inside of this environment. Yeah. And the asshole and she guy, like, some pushes her. Yeah. It. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was that was a, a tough one because I was like, "Come on, like, man, you know, yeah, like, <laughs> like I can't root for you <laughs> in this yeah. moment." Um, yeah, she make very long, long winded punchlines about semen. Yeah, <laughs> ejaculation. Good boy. <laughs> yeah, if you want a good feel good comedy for the whole family, Vig Zone, put on <laughs> the con- put on entertainment. Yeah, oh boy, it was great seeing him Play- live, though, honestly. <laughs> Like I like I saw him at the Independent one year, I think it was the Independent, and uh, I was in tears, man. Like <laughs> he had this whole thing about DJ Diplo dying of an overdose, <laughs> oh, God. and it was hilarious. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Like, yeah, my journey to this movie is so interesting because yeah, like. A few weeks ago, I had no idea who this person was. Now I'm like, yeah, this this guy's a fucking genius. <laughs> this guy's on a whole nother level. Same with Tim. Like they're just kind of doing something that no one else yeah. is doing. They're doing it really well. There's a moment in this movie where one of the guys who's hosting a tour is talking about five easy pieces, uh, and it just feels like something out of haunt cinema. Like yeah. getting hung up. I think he's like reciting lines from five easy pieces and it's a very meaningless conversation about like ordering food or something like that yeah yeah i think that's the is that the jack nicholson impression yeah 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 Yeah, it's like not even a good jack nicholson impression (laughs) and it's like not interesting dialogue (laughs) yeah and then that's great because our character just wanders out of the scene and just goes into his surreal world yeah i fucking i really love this movie it's 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 great um 
Yeah, I think that might be about it. What have you been watching this week? Uh, I saw The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Uh, oh man, I almost saw that yesterday. I think if you like the trailer, you will like this movie. Um, I did not like the trailer, <laughs> uh, but I hmm. still saw the movie because it got good reviews. Um, and so I was like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's fine. I will say the... So the movie starts with Nicolas Cage dialed up to 11, as you would expect. Um, yeah. And it, I found him very obnoxious and annoying. Um, and then he crosses paths with Pedro Pascal, and it becomes a much better movie because now we can just enjoy the dynamic between these two characters, enjoy the chemistry. Um, yeah. However, like I will say the movie gets better as it goes on, even. Um, however, I feel like walking out of that movie my strongest emotions that i experienced during that movie were still negative so <laughs> so i can't really recommend it i think i think it's a uh, it's a streaming movie it's something you throw on as a curiosity i don't think anyone needs to rush out to the theaters to see it um that's good i appreciate that yeah i feel like a lot of the comedy a lot of the comedic moments don't really didn't really work for me i think um the comedic moments that are born out of just like the chemistry and like these two characters performing opposite each other rather than you know a written joke um i think those yeah, moments yeah. work a lot better um but yeah still like i said just it's, it's a rental it it tries to have like an emotional payoff towards the end too and that doesn't really work for me uh <laughs> it doesn't earn it um so yeah just yeah rent it I guess my one question is, does Tiffany Haddish's character survive? That's all. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'll have to find out for yeah. myself. All right. What have you been watching lately? I uh, want to mention a few things. So um, Better Call Saul is approaching mm. its mid-season finale. and so Mid-season mid finale. <laughs> mid yes, it's the mid-season finale. The fake season um, finale. Yeah, the, I, I gotta give it its props because over the last six episodes and what's gonna be the seventh, it's been, so basically in older episodes of Better Call Saul, there'll be like a scheme that he does, but it'll be something that unfolds in one episode at the most two. But here we've had the entire, like it's the last season, so the, over the course of the past six episodes, a scheme has been building up, but they haven't told you what it is. So it's like a very big build up to like an explosive event that's happening okay. so this, the seventh episode is called plan and execution and all of the fans on reddit is like yeah someone's gonna get poisoned someone's gonna die like it's, it's gonna be something kind of massive it's, it's been very very well done the way that they've been doing it they've like it's like saul and his wife are like basically planning to destroy a colleague's life essentially and they're like doing it they're planning it out on like this big um bulletin board with like sticky notes on it with the sticky notes have like one word on it or just like a, a drawing or something like that so it's up to the audience oh, sort of nice. to put together that's put fun. together what's happening and so we'll see like oh they do one thing or like they do one part of it on one episode and it's just been it's just really fucking good storytelling and so yeah, this next episode is going to be great so had to give a mention to that just because it's fucking really goddamn good but also yeah. um three busy Debras has been uh, airing on a i watched slam. the first episode of that <laughs> yeah it's really really fun show really fucking absurd um yeah season two's out right now and the most recent episode was like 
really subversive usually like this show it does get subversive like it's the like three girls and like sorry three women their their dialogue is really good really sharp they're really funny and yeah it's like they're they're making social commentary throughout the show but this episode in particular is like it's set in the future and like it's about women's contributions in the past like making it more dystopian and so, and so like it's it's like a, a guy in a classroom teaching a, a class full of kids about women's history, and then like all of the con- like the three contributions all set women back even further, and it was just like just very very dark. Okay. And so, if there's an episode to watch from the new season, it's that one. Okay. Um, I forget because you don't have to watch them in order, right? Like no, okay. no, they're all standalone. Yeah, there's one episode that was like a murder mystery that I thought was kind of fun. They do like a whole little Sherlock Holmes thing with a cake, <laughs> like a cake gets destroyed, and so they're trying to find out what happened to the cake. And so there's episodes that are like really like uh, absurd and kind of aloof like that, but then this one was just like just really dark, and it's called um, Women's History Hour. Okay. So if you uh, if you check that episode Women's out, History that's Hour, really wow, <laughs> yeah, it's called Women's History Hour. Um, yeah, it's like makeup is mandatory, and like yeah, so it's like it's fucked up. Um, lastly. On Saturday night, I um, beat Call of Duty Cold War, which I mentioned on the show quite a while, yeah, <laughs> quite a while ago. Um, and I, I thought the ending was cool because it kind of got into the whole CIA mind control thing. And MK Ultra. visually, yeah. So visually, it's like you're doing one mission over and over again, but each time you do it, like the reality starts to distort because your character is like eh, being interrogated and sort of like getting yeah. information taken out. So you go through the level one time, and it's like you have a bow and arrow but like no that didn't happen you go through and you do it with a grenade launcher it's like and then you go through and then it's like all the enemies were like the same doctor like interrogating you so it, it visually is really that sounds really, cool really visually driven it was really great had fun beating that woke up sunday morning to news of another mass shooting and oh, felt boy. really really gross <laughs> felt really gross about playing yeah. call of duty so i was like i gotta uninstall the shit and like not put my money into <laughs> into this like franchise anymore like I, I'm all for like defending yourself in a racist nation that is actively yeah. trying to kill you, but I like I don't think you should be one of those guys that should know the names of assault rifles off the top of your head. I think that's a little bit further. It, so I, I did I, have I, that <laughs> experience at some point where I was like, the only reason I know the names of guns is because of Call of Duty specifically. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> fucked up. It's like yeah, it's like how like why do I know like these particular guns have a three round burst and it's semi automatic? Yeah. I was like, yeah, it's because of fucking Activision. <laughs> and so like. I kind of had to step away from that and think about that a little bit and thinking about the movie entertainment and all this stuff kind of coming full circle and being like, well, what, you know, what am I spending my time on with? And I've yo-yoed with that, <laughs> that game where I was like, oh yeah, I like it. I hate it. I like it. I hate it. So sun installed, it's done. And yeah, it's good. Um, so happy to kind of move on from that. Warriors in the playoffs. So things are going good. <laughs> Only engaging in <laughs> more lighthearted things. Uh, you talking about that, um, like it's like an LS, LSD MK Ultra thing uh, where you're being interrogated. It reminded me. Did I ever tell you about my James Bond movie idea? No. It's like it kind of fits in with like this trend of multiverse stuff that's happening now. But like I had this idea where it's like, what if they made a James Bond movie where the whole movie takes place inside of his head? He's been captured. He's being interrogated, and he's just okay. struggling to re- retain his sense of self. And uh so if the whole movie takes place in his head and he's struggling to maintain a sense of self you can incorporate all of the other versions of james bond so like all the actors who have played james bond uh and you can do like sort of a you know spider verse sort of thing 
Uh, let's hope Barbara Broccoli is not listening to this right now. That's what she is, because I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Steal the idea. Frequent listener of the show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's a really cool idea. I like that, because, yeah, it's one of those genres and properties that is really good at, like, reinvention and, like, addressing, like, what are the thing? like, why are we drawn to these things and, like, who is this character into like this like the psyche of yeah. that like machismo is and it's like right for dissection it's li- like you can have you can cross cut between what is happening in the real world versus what is happening in his head and if and yeah. what is happening in his head can be weird you can have like a surreal strange James Bond movie uh, that defies yeah. the laws of physics and all that stuff that j- jumps yeah. from location to location and gadgets that have yet to you know uh, dream gadgets that don't make any sense you can have like you can get cronenbergian with it (laughs) like stuff made of flesh and stuff Uh, yeah yeah that's that's awesome i'm I'm really into that idea i wanted to ask you did you finish moon knight uh i like wasn't paying total attention to it but uh it, it was on the tv and it concluded and i was in its presence I was going to ask what your parting thoughts on the show was, but I think that might be it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't find it that interesting. Uh, I Like, it felt like... <laughs> it's not fair for me to say this, because I was, like I said, only, like, half paying attention. But a lot of times for I sure, was like... Sure. It just... I got the sense that things were happening without causation. Uh, that there yeah. were moments where it's like, I guess this is happening now. That was like the the feeling I kept happening. I kept having was like, okay, well, I guess this is happening now. I guess they have a tablet that, you know, are, can map out all the stars and stuff. Sure. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. But, yeah. What did you think? Um, I haven't watched it. I'm probably going to. Well, right now I don't have Disney Plus, okay. and so I might have to acquire it through uh, dubious means. But um, <laughs> I, I'm like I'm curious, but not like super. Curious. I think it started off pretty strong. Um, okay. I was interested initially, and then my interest just waned. Yeah, there's just so many really good TV shows out right now, and like I, I'm been getting into more like the show. Uh, sorry, the shorter Adult Swim shows, like Three Busy Debras. I've been rewatching uh, Tom Goes to the Mayor and Tim and Eric, and just like those little short yeah, eleven 15, minute verse. Yeah. It's like, and then I have like Better Call Saul or We Own the City to kind of satisfy that one hour stitch. But yeah, I can't can't watch them all. I uh, I just started season three of Barry, which ah, yes, fantastic. Yes. Loving this how show. How far? Are you? How far? Uh, are you? I think I watched the first two episodes of season three. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can't wait for you to catch up because yeah, that's one I've been holding back on because how how many episodes are out now? I think they just put out the fourth okay. episode. Yeah, I'll probably catch up. Uh, I'll definitely be caught up at next time we record. It's been fantastic. It's yeah. just been so good and the episodes are only a half hour yeah. <laughs> hooray yeah short and sweet and bill Hader is such a fucking good director like some of the best episodes of the show are bill Hader directing uh yeah it's yeah. it's really really strong and yeah so i sent you the tweet about stranger things episodes being I mean, <laughs> I, all, all movie length. i mean on one hand i do think it's kind of cool because it's like it's streaming. You could do whatever the fuck you want. Like it. Yeah. Like yeah. make it make release an episode that's eleven minutes long, and then the next one have <laughs> it be two hours. Like do whatever. Yeah. Like whatever you need to best unfurl that drama within like a little package. Um, if the yeah, package yeah. needs to be small, if it needs to be big, whatever. Just like, yeah, have fun with it. 
But then again, <laughs> do we really need this much Stranger Things? I don't know. I have yet to see it. I saw the new uh, She-Hulk trailer, and I was like, this doesn't look good. And also, do we need? does this story need to be eight hours? Because it's going to be about that much. Yeah. Like, I think they should just stick to making movies. Um, yeah, I wasn't super excited about that. But I don't know. I, I think there could be things that are good about it, but it's not going to be something I'm going to jump out to watch. Like, I sort of uh, dragged my feet on Moon Knight because I was like, I don't really know this character. I like Oscar Isaac, but like I said, there's just, just so much stuff to watch. He's, do you know he has a British accent in the show? No. <laughs> oh. Yeah, like yeah. within the first five minutes, he says, like, <laughs> in it. And uh, I don't know. He says, like, all sorts of bloody hell, in it. Uh, <laughs> Oi, love. <laughs> like, I don't know. That's great. That's fantastic. I might have to hop back into it. Yeah, I might just resubscribe to it when uh, Obi-Wan comes out and just watch it around yeah. that time. Cool. So, yeah, um, next week. Uh, finally getting to Muppet Treasure Island. Excited for that one. Um, but yeah, looking forward to getting further into the Muppet franchise, getting to these uh, really highly regarded ones. I think that's going to be really exciting. Yeah. Um, right, sorry, is it Christmas Carol in Treasure Island? Or is it uh, Treasure Island? I honestly don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, a Muppet movie will be watched. Who knows yeah, I what? Think, uh, no, I think Christmas Carol is first, okay. and then Treasure Island is second. Treasure Island is like 97 or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah. Muppet Christmas Carol was 92. Cool. Okay. Trust my hunch. All right. All right. So, yeah, if you'd like to contact us, you can email us, vaguezonepod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us on the Twitter, at vaguezone. Let us know what you're watching. What did, what did you think of... Moon Knight, did you like Oscar Isaac's uh, British accent? <laughs> British, British accent, was it good enough? His British accent, was it was it uh, believable or not? Let us know, but yeah, this has been episode 86. I'm Thomas. And I am Daniel. We'll see you next time. All right, peace.